Long History, Francis Drake's Voyage About the World, Part 18, Fireflies in Sulawesi. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Long History's The Voyage About the World, a description of Francis Drake's famous voyage. It took place from the 15th of November 1577 to the 26th of September 1580. Here at Long History we break up historic source documents into chunks of 10 minutes or so. Welcome to any new listeners, these are eyewitnesses to the events that took place. We're now on the 18th episode of this document, so look out for episode 1 if you want to start from the beginning, and subscribe to be notified of the remaining episodes to come. Although we're actually near the end now, there's only 20 episodes altogether in this series. The text for this document was written by men who took part in the voyage, with the front page of the 1854 edition used here saying that it was carefully collected out of the notes of Master Francis Fletcher, preacher in this employment, and diverse others, his followers in the same. We've now reached November 1579, and in this episode Drake is two years into his journey around the world. Forced to abandon his ambitions to find a northern route around the Americas, he crossed the Pacific and is now in Indonesia, in what was once known as the Spice Islands, specifically Ternate. On this island they meet the king. In this episode they also meet a Chinese man who claims to have links to the Chinese crown. Drake and his men eventually move on, reaching another island that is today part of Indonesia, called Sulawesi, or celebes in this document. As this episode begins, a representative of Francis Drake is meeting with the King of Ternate. As thus he sat in his chair of state, at his right side there stood a page with a very costly fan, richly embroidered and beset with sapphires, breathing and gathering the air to refresh the king, the place being very hot, both by reason of the sun and the assembly of so great a multitude. After a while, our gentlemen, having delivered their message and received answer, were licensed to depart, and were safely conducted back again by one of the chief of the king's council, who had charge from the king himself to perform the same. Our gentlemen, observing the castle as well as they could, could not conceive it to be a place of any great force. Two only cannons there they saw, and those at that present untraversable because unmounted. These, with all other furniture of like sort which they have, they have gotten them from the Portugals, by whom the castle itself was also builded, whilst they inhabited that place and island, who, seeking to settle a tyrannous government, as in other places so, over this people, and not consenting themselves with a better estate than they deserved, except they might, as they thought, make sure work by leaving none of the royal blood alive who should make challenge to the kingdom, cruelly murdered the king himself, father to him who now reigns, and intended the like to all his sons, which cruelty, instead of establishing, brought such a shaking on their usurped estate, that they were fain, without covenanting to carry away goods, munitions, or anything else, to quit the place and the whole island to save their lives. For the present king, with his brethren, in revenge of their father's murder, so bestirred themselves, that the Portugal was wholly driven from that island, and glad that he yet keeps footing in Tidore. These four years this king hath been increasing, and was, as was affirmed at that present, lord of an hundred islands thereabouts, and was even now preparing his forces to hazard a chance with the Portugals for Tidori itself. The people are Moors, whose religion consists much in certain superstitious observations of new moons in certain seasons, with a rigid and strict kind of fasting. We had experience hereof in the viceroy and his retinue, who lay aboard us all the time for the most part during our abode in this place, who during their prescribed time would neither eat nor drink, nor so much as hold a cup of water in the day, so zealous are they in their self-devised worship, but yet in the night would eat three times, and that very largely. 
This Terranate stands in 27 minutes north latitude. While we rode at anchor in the harbour at Terranate, besides the natives there came aboard as another, a goodly gentleman, very well accompanied, with his interpreter, to view our ship and to confer with our general. He was apparelled much after our manner, most neat and court-like. His carriage, the most respective and full of discreet behaviour that ever we had seen. He told us that he was himself but a stranger in those islands, being a natural of the province of Pagia in China, his name Pao Saos, of the family of Hombu, of which family there had eleven reign in continual succession these two hundred years, and King Bonog, by the death of his elder brother, who died by a fall from his horse, the rightful heir of all China, is the twelfth of this race. He is twenty-two years of age, his mother yet living. He hath a wife, and by her one son. He is well beloved, and highly honoured of all his subjects, and lives in great peace from any fear of foreign invasion. But it was not this man's fortune to enjoy his part of this happiness, both of his king and country, as he most desired. For, being accused of a capital crime, whereof, though free, yet he could not evidently make his innocence appear, and knowing the peremptory justice of China to be irrevocable, if he should expect the sentence of the judges, he beforehand made sweet to his king, that it would please him to commit his trial to God's providence and judgment, and, to that end, to permit him to travel on this condition, that if he brought not home some worthy intelligence, such as his majesty had never had before, and were most fit to be known, and most honourable for China, he should forever live in exile, or else die for daring to set foot again in his own country, for he was assured that the God of heaven had care of innocence. The king granted his suite, and now he had been three year abroad, and at this present came from Tidore, where he had remained two months, to see the English general, of whom he heard such strange things, and from him, if it pleased God to afford it, to learn some such intelligence as might make way for his return into his country, and therefore he earnestly entreated our general to make relation to him, of the occasion, way and manner of his coming so far from England thither, with the manifold occurrences that had happened to him by the way. Our general gave ample satisfaction to each part of his request. The stranger hearkened with great attention and delight to his discourse, and as he naturally excelled in memory, besides his help of art to better the same, so he firmly printed it in his mind, and with great reverence thanked God, who had so unexpectedly brought him to the notice of such admirable things. Then fell he to entreat our general with many most earnest and vehement persuasions, that he would be content to see his country before his departure any further westward, that it should be a most pleasant, most honourable and most profitable thing for him, that he should gain hereby the notice and carry home the description of one of the most ancient, mightiest and richest kingdoms in the world. Hereupon, he took occasion to relate the number and greatness of the provinces, with the rare commodities and good things they yielded, the number, stateliness and riches of their cities, with what abundance of men, victuals, munition and all manner of necessaries and delightful things they were stored with in particular touching ordnance and great guns, the late invention of a scab-shined friar amongst us in Europe. He related that in Sun Tien, by some called Chin Tsai, which is the chief city of all China, they had brass ordnance of all sorts, much easier to be traversed than ours were, and so perfectly made that they would hit a shilling, above two thousand years ago, with many other worthy things which our general's own experience, if it would please him to make trial, would, better than his relation, assure him of, the breeze would shortly serve very fitly to carry him thither, and he himself would accompany him all the way. He accounted himself a happy man, that he had but seen and spoken with us. The relation of it might perhaps serve him to recover favour in the country, but if he could prevail with our general himself to go thither, 
He doubted not, but it would be a means of his great advancement and increase of honour with his king. Notwithstanding, our general could not on such persuasions be induced. And so the stranger parted, sorry that he could not prevail in his request, yet exceeding glad of the intelligence he had learned. By the ninth of November, having gotten what provision the place could afford us, we then set sail, and, considering that our ship, for want of trimming, was now grown foul, that our cask and vessels for water were much decayed, and that diverse other things stood in need of reparation, our next care was how we might fall with such a place where with safety we might a while stay for the redressing of these inconveniences. The calmness of the winds, which are almost continual before the coming of the breeze, which was not yet expected, persuaded us it was the fittest time that we could take. With this resolution, we sailed along till November the 14th, at what time we arrived at a little island, to the southward of Celebes, standing in 1 degrees 40 minutes towards the pole Antarctic, which, being without inhabitants, gave us the better hope of quiet abode. We anchored, and finding the place convenient for our purposes, there wanting nothing here which we stood in need of but only water, which we were fain to fetch from another island somewhat farther to the south, made our abode here for twenty-six whole days together. The first thing we did, we pitched our tents and entrenched ourselves as strongly as we could upon the shore, lest, at any time perhaps, we might have been disturbed by the inhabitants of the greater island, which lay not far to the westward of us. After we had provided thus for our security, we landed our goods, and had a smith's forge set up, both for the making of some necessary shipwork, and for the repairing of some iron-hooped casks, without which they could not long have served our use, and for that our smith's coals were all spent long before this time. There was order given and followed for the burning of charcoal, by which that want might be supplied. We trimmed our ship, and performed our other businesses to our content, the place affording us not only all necessaries, which we had not of our own before, thereunto, but also wonderful refreshing to our wearied bodies, by the comfortable relief and excellent provision that we here found, whereby, of sickly, weak and decayed, as many of us seemed to be before our coming hither, we in short space grew all of us to be strong, lusty and healthful persons. Besides this, we had rare experience of God's wonderful wisdom in many rare and admirable creatures which here we saw. The whole island is a through-grown wood. The trees, for the most part, are of large and high stature, very straight and clean without boughs, save only in the very top. The leaves whereof are not much unlike our brooms in England. Among these trees, night by night, did show themselves an infinite swarm of fiery-seeming worms flying in the air, whose bodies, no bigger than an ordinary fly, did make a show, and give such light as if every twig on every tree had been a lighted candle, or as if that place had been a starry sphere. To these, we may add, the relation of another, almost as strange a creature, which here we saw, and that was an innumerable multitude of huge bats or rear mice, equalling, or rather exceeding a good hen in bigness. They fly with marvellous swiftness, but their flight is very short, and when they alight, they hang only by the bounds with their backs downwards. Neither may we, without ingratitude, by reason of the special use we made of them, omit to speak of the huge multitude of a certain kind of crayfish, of such a size that one was sufficient to satisfy four hungry men at a dinner, being a very good and restorative meat, the especial mean, as we conceived it, of our increase of health. They are, as far as we could perceive, utter strangers to the sea, living always on the land, where they work themselves earth, as do the conies, 
or rather they dig great and huge caves under the roots of the most huge and monstrous trees, where they lodge themselves by companies together. Of the same sort and kind we found in other places about the island Celebes, some that, for want of other refuge, when we came to take them, did climb up into the trees to hide themselves, whither we were enforced to climb after them, if we would have them, which we would not stick to do rather than be without them. This island we call Crab Island. All necessary causes of our staying longer in this place being at last finished, our general prepared to be in a readiness to take the first advantage of the coming of the breeze or wind which we expected, and having the day before furnished ourselves with fresh water from the other island and taken in provision of wood and the like, December the 12th we put to sea, directing our course toward the west. The 16th day we had sight of the island Celebes or Celebis, but having a bad wind and being entangled among many islands, encumbered also with many other difficulties and some dangers, and at last meeting with a deep bay, out of which we could not in three days turn out again, we could not by any means recover the north of Celebes, or continue our course farther west, but were enforced to alter the same toward the south, finding that course also to be both difficult and very dangerous by reason of many shoals which lay far off, here and there among the islands, insomuch that, in all our passages from England hitherto, we had never more care to keep ourselves afloat and from sticking on them. Thus, we were forced to beat up and down with extraordinary care and circumspection till January the 9th, at which time we supposed that we had at last attained a free passage, the lands turning evidently in our sight about to westward, and the wind being enlarged followed us as we desired with a reasonable gale. After their adventures in Ternate, Drake and his crew move on reaching an island they called Celebes, today principally known as Sulawesi. Despite still being halfway around the world, the next episode is the penultimate part of Drake's voyage about the world, at least this version of it. The crew have not overcome all dangers however, with the next episode beginning with the ship running aground, threatening the whole future of the expedition.